All right. We are going to look at the, what we call the glories of Christmas. Uh, so we finished the uh, coffee cup series. Um, we ran out of coffee mugs. We've kind of tapped out uh, the verses we're, we're going we're gonna to do. But we're going to look at the glories of Christmas. When we see Christmas, uh, what, what is the glory of Christmas as, as what Scripture brings out? And so we're going to look at a passage today uh, in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. Uh, but we're going to be going back, echoing back into Exodus as we, uh, as we study this. And so this is going to be one of those times where you're going to have your finger in John, but you're going to be flipping back to Exodus uh, a good bit uh, as we look at this. Uh, so have you, um, have you glorified your house? <laughs> you know, that's uh, kind of the season if you hadn't done it yet. Uh, I spent a good portion of this last week. Uh, different times, working on glorifying the house. Uh, started on the inside, you know, the family worked together and putting the Christmas tree up. And, and then we had uh, one of the daughters and her friends doing the, the front porch and putting garland out, putting the bows out. Had to go outside and they, on the roof and put the, the wreaths on the, on the windows upstairs. And, uh, and then had to get the lights, the spotlights working on it. And uh, once it's all done, I have to say it, it, it's really quite pretty. Uh, it makes me just want to sit there like, that's a beautiful house, you know? Uh, but it's always different, though, when you own the house, isn't it? I mean, it, it seems so much sweeter to go uh, down someone else's street and see those beautiful houses. Like, oh, man, those must be gorgeous houses. But when I look at my house, and, I, and it sees so gorgeous on the outside, but I know too much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I'm thinking, uh, I wonder if they can see that rotted railing there, you know, where that spotlight is on that, you know, and, and you start thinking, well, is that window clean, you know, and, and then you, you go inside and, and you know the, the various things aren't working right there inside and it just seems like, a man, this is one thing after another, you know, and, and then on a given, any given day you might hear the, the chatter of, of boys wrestling and girls arguing and, and mom and dad yelling and it's just like, you know, it looks so good by 75 feet away, you know, when the lights are on it. And we're glorifying something, but it's still a facade, isn't it? Just looks good. Well, what you've got in Christmas is something that is genuinely pure, true, without any corruption whatsoever, getting glorification. And what I want to do is talk about what Scripture says is really worth glorifying. And I know we're going to spend a lot of money, a lot of time on glorifying the tree and the houses and presents and that morning and breakfasts and all that. But I want us to take some time to glorify that which God glorifies. Uh, and so, I think in John chapter 1... Uh, is an incredible passage. In fact, I've taught from John 1 uh, different times uh, in this season. Uh, But I'm going to just do a little bit different angle as we look specifically at verse 14 and notice what gets the glory and what type of glory it is as we read this. So in honor of this being God's Word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But he has made him known. You may be seated. I could talk about the word, which John 1, 1 says was there from before the beginning, has always been through the word, God was creating the world. I could talk about the world, or the word being this Jesus Christ, which is certainly declared here. I could talk about how the world became, the word became flesh. This is a very, um, kind of a rude term. It's not talking about humanity, but it took on flesh and blood to say it matters. Your body matters. It matters enough to God that he took on this flesh. And so you could, you could talk about that. Uh, but you could talk about, uh, what's this, this idea of the only son from the Father? But what I'd like to talk about is this glory represented by being full of grace and truth. And how the law came from Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so it's limited by saying, all right, let's look at the glory of God through Jesus Christ and the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, God becoming flesh, and the glory of that which is of the only begotten the Father. And look at these two characteristics, grace and truth. You can look at these two characteristics that may be on the opposite end of the spectrum, but they're on the same spectrum together. And what does this say about our relationship with God? So to do that, let's go back to Moses. Is uh, referenced here, Moses, that law comes from Moses. And so let's look and see a little bit about how Moses interacted and encountered God. And we're going to look at this idea of truth first. What does it mean to encounter a God who is God of truth and know that this is the glory of God, is his truth? And so if you go with me to Genesis uh, chapter 3 uh, and look at uh, verse 6, we're going to see one of the first encounters uh, that um, Moses had. Exodus, I'm sorry. Some of you are thinking, huh, maybe you know something I don't. Exodus chapter 3. And so this is the burning bush episode uh, where God is calling Moses, says, I, I know what's going on with, your, with the people, and I've got a mission for you. And so this is Moses' uh, first real encounter with God. And so in verse 3, Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, nor take your sandals off your feet, for the place of which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Why was he afraid 
to look at God? Well, you see some of the same answers right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. When man sinned, and God come, came to encounter Adam and Eve, and when Adam and Eve realizes it's God, the Bible says they hid from God because they were ashamed. They knew they were naked. And so it doesn't really matter whether it's Adam and Eve or what kind of clothing we have. When we come and encounter God, we're going to be like Moses because God is the God of truth. And part of his glory is truth. And so when Moses realizes this is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's here talking to me, the ground I stand on is holy ground, there is a very keen, acute, powerful sense that God, who is talking to me, knows Every single thing. I cannot put up any kind of facade of godliness. I remember my first speeding ticket. I still blame my brother-in-law for it. But I remember the first time to Mahara when I went out to the mailbox. I mean, these lawyers send letters? Why was it horror? Because I didn't want to tell mom and dad. So that meant that every day I had to go to the mailbox because every day I was getting another letter from lawyer. And of course, after some point, I'll miss it. There was, there was no hiding it eventually. And it all came out. And it's amazing what lengths we go to to put up some facade of, I'm okay, I'm okay, I really am, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Which is always the stock answer when someone asks us, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. Well, when we were before God, there is a God who says, yeah, I saw that speeding ticket. I saw what was in your thoughts, in your minds, as you led to that. And you may fool everyone else, but God knows exactly who you are. And so Moses hides. Maybe he remembered the fit of rage that caused him to murder an Egyptian. Could be any number of things. He's lived a long life at this point. But notice that, that first Reaction, but something happens as Moses talks with God and they live their life. There seems to be somewhat of a progression as, as time goes on. In fact, if you go to Exodus chapter 33, uh, uh, you'll see a little bit more of this progression. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, something seems to be happening here. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. There seems to be some kind of growing relationship whereby Moses is starting to uh, become somewhat familiar with knowing how to talk with God, and God is talking with him. But then you've got this seeming contradiction that happens just a few verses down, verse 20. In fact, let's start with verse 18 through 20. Moses said, Now, show me your glory. Isn't it interesting? There's this thirst in Moses' life, he's been talking to him and relating to him. And now he's not trying to hide himself, but there's this sense of, God, I want to see more of who you are. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. 
Then you go to verse 20. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. It seems like a contradiction. Evidently, there's some kind of differentiation that God the Father through the, through the Trinity is able to do in communication with Moses. But at this point, Moses is wanting more. He wants to see more of who God is, but God is saying to, to Moses, you can't handle the truth. All right? This is a point where you will dissolve. There's only true, so much truth. Do you realize that God has only shown so much about yourself? You know that God knows you more than yourself? He was there since before you were born. And even while you were in your mother's womb, he knew the number of days when it was yet one of them for your life. And the thoughts that he had towards you were more than the grains of the sands of the earth. He knows you more than you know yourself. And, and God will allow you to know about yourself only as much as you can handle it. One of the great things, or, or one of the terrifying things, is that when you come before God, not only is it an exposure of who God is, it is an exposure of who we are. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where it came clear to you that your motives have been totally sinful and shameful, and you didn't even know it? You blinded yourself to it. Can you imagine in one moment, one second, everything laid bare of who you are, hidden motives that you don't even let yourself be known, and God reveals it to you. God says to Moses, this is something that if you want to see more of me, what's going to happen as a result is you're going to see more of yourself, and you just can't deal with that. But it's interesting, the, the contradiction that we have with Moses here, who's saying, I, I can't, you can't get this. And then what you see with John chapter 1, verse 14. Remember what it said there in John 1, 14? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. Interesting. What Moses was yearning for, and he couldn't get, he could only see the backsides of his glory. What does that mean? I don't know. Other than it was a reflection of who God is. But even in that moment, it changed Moses. Just witnessing the backside of the glory. Here John is saying, in Jesus, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth and so we bring out this idea of truth to first understand that as we read everywhere in exodus where god's presence is there are certain prohibitions where people can't come there's barriers out of your own well-being god says you can't get near me this close anymore why because of our sin because of our own self-centered tendencies that every single one of us are born with. And the problem with that is we live in a world that God made. And self-centeredness is treason against the God who made you and which all things are made for. And so as long as that continues, there is this huge gulf between ourselves and who God is. But Christmas... It's about God spanning 
the gulf. To say when Jesus came, it was the glory of God shown and we were able to behold him. And so we think about John and what he witnessed with Jesus. And we think, well, maybe it was a witnessing uh, the baptism uh, and seeing the, the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus as a dove and this voice coming from heaven of God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Or maybe it was the Mount of Transfiguration which Jesus had said, some of you are going to see my glory, you're going to see my kingdom, and, and you see Jesus in a glorified state with Moses and Elijah, and then another voice coming out of heaven saying, this is my Son, my beloved Son, listen to Him. It could have been those things. Where John says, Man, we witness this. But he's writing this not just as a witness, but he's writing this as an invitation. How can we see God's glory today? This takes us to the next aspect of God's glory. We've got the glory of truth, but then full of truth and grace. Grace. So let's look at this grace part. Going back to Exodus. When we read in Exodus chapter 34 and 33, you see some of what God says even to Moses as he's revealing his glory. If you go to Exodus 33, verse 19. He says, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, the Yahweh. That's the capital, all caps, L-O-R-D, referring to the I am. I'll proclaim my name. And your presence. That's the same, my character, my authority. You're going to be impacted with who I am. And then notice what he says. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Isn't that interesting? Even in Moses' day, this is the time when he's about to give the law. God says, I've got mercy and I've got compassion. I am the God of grace as I'm also the God of truth. And then he explains that in just a little bit. We go to uh, chapter 4. We go to verse 4. Moses is chiseling out two stone tablets like the first ones. Literally, the law is coming forth at this moment. And went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets uh, in his hand. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with them and proclaimed his name the Lord. This is the moment he said it was going to happen. He proclaimed his character, his glory. Moses is feeling the impact as he proclaims his name. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. Get this. There's some kind of visible presence of God's God's glory right there before Moses. And as this is passing by Moses, Moses hears this proclamation with this most intimate revelation. The Lord The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That's the proclamation that comes with the presence of God. What do you do with that? There's a part of me that likes the first part. Yes. I want that. I want, uh, I want this forgiveness. I want this compassion. I want the slow to anger. I want the abounding in love and faithfulness. I need that. But what do you do with that last part? God, can, you didn't have to say that, did you? Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
punishes the children, their children, for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God, can't, how do I get into that first part? Because when, when you say it like that, I fit into that last part. I'm guilty. Both of these come hand in hand with God. There's truth and there's grace. They come together. You see, if, you, if you're all about giving grace, but you don't have the truth, then it just kind of washes out to sentimentality. But if you all have truth, but you don't have the grace that goes with it, then all you have is condemnation. I stand there in the last part and say, God, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be punished, and my poor kids and my grandkids are there with me. So what do you have? How do you want the glory of God when the glory destroys sin? Of which... I'm a part of that. Well, we go back to John chapter 1. Where it became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came to the Father. Full, came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. From the fullness of grace. So if you can imagine just some billionaire coming into your life and says, you know what, I'm just going to bless you with blessings financially so that you can have more financial blessings. You know, money begets money type thing. As appealing as that might be, this is even a greater thing in that this God that's all-powerful, gives us this grace, is I'm going to give it to you out of my fullness through Jesus Christ. This grace is going forth. For the law was given through Moses. All right? That's the bad part. That's the part that tells me I've sinned and I must be punished. That's the part that is tied to my shame with sin. That if all I have is law, is I have all a life filled with shame, and at best I cover up and have some sense of morality. But that's not what we have with Jesus. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So here's what Jesus does. Through the Holy Spirit, God calls out our sin. I never forget that moment. When I realized it was God condemning me of my hypocrisy and that there was no fooling God. And that there was certainly, as, as clear as the fact that there was a day I was born, there was going to be a day that was going to be held account by God. And that sense was law. God using law to reveal that in my life. But then came Jesus. And what Jesus did for me is that he simply says, I, that truth, all that you are, that truth now is me. I, I become that. In truth, I become your sin. I become the hypocrisy. I become the shame. I become the deceit, the lying. I become the self-centeredness. I become the, the acts and thoughts and words of rage. I become these things. And God the Father abolishes Jesus. He destroys Jesus so that my sin can be destroyed. But the great thing is that God is coming as Jesus. 
Jesus is God, and so his righteousness, his life, outlasts my sin. And that's the beauty of what we've got with this. And so we simply say, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So how do we see the glory of God? John could see John, I'd see Jesus. He could eat breakfast with him. But this is given for us. How does this happen? If you go, John, a few verses up. Verse 10. This one, this grace and truth, this glory of God, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. How do we see the glory of God? That which Moses longed for. That John witnessed. It's done, but what John 1.12 says. You receive him. You believe in his name. What does that mean? His authority. His character. You trust him. You depend on that. You say, God, you know what? I'm not going to try to be good anymore. I realize it's not just by doing a lot of good deeds and being really religious and, and trying to refrain from a lot of bad stuff. That's not cutting it because the law still sees who I am. Truth is still there, and I cannot gloss over the truth of my sin. And that's what morality is. Morality is simply, maybe I can gloss over it. <laughs> There's a part of me that cringes with the whole Santa deal. I'm just to be honest. Um, he knows whether you're naughty or nice. Really? And if you're just good enough, then maybe give you some presents? That's not God. That's not of God. That's not the gospel. That's the anti-gospel. That's what most of us have breathed in religion. But it is to say, look, it's not by this morality of thinking it's in your efforts. It's not by some discipline and some will of man. It's not because you're born in a church. That's not how that happens. It's because you're born of God, which God comes to hearts who believe, trust in, acknowledge, I need something other. I need Jesus Christ fixing my heart. I can't fix it. And it's an amazing thing. When all you see is yourself and your sin and your shame and you come to a Jesus and you just step out in faith and say, Jesus, help me to see something else. Just that act of trusting him is enough for God says, but as many as received me, to them gave he the authority, the power, become sons of God. And from that point on, a son and daughter of God has a vision of the glory of Jesus Christ so that someone like Moses would say, I want to see your glory. And each day, 
becomes a new opportunity. Can I see the glory of God in the, the pits and despondency of life sometimes and the mundane activities? It is there in these little moments that still we can see God's glory so that each day becomes an adventure. You know that word adventure comes from? What's the first part of the word adventure? Advent, the coming. Do you understand that there is an adventure found? That in each day, when you see it as an opportunity to see God's glory through Jesus Christ, to witness it at work. And it may come through the, the, the family life and, the, and some of the, the task and the, the, the chit-chat and the tension that comes and, and living in this flesh. But even in the midst of that, there is a Spirit of God working and moving and directing. And though you may look at a facade of a house and you may think that your life is just a facade and that you've got lights shining on it to show the glitter of, of my morality, Jesus sees it all and He sees the rotten wood inside and He says, you know what, I've got grace and I've got truth and I will come in if you would just let me be the Lord. And the king. That's part of the glory of Christmas. It's not a song, it's not a tree, it's not presents, and it's not a food feast. It's that God, through Jesus Christ, is declaring, explaining, communicating the character of himself through Jesus Christ. The word has declared father so let me ask you is your life a day unto day of god uttering speech into your life are you opening up your heart to hear from god i invite you to do that as we pray